welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Looking at the book of Philippians, we started last week. Uh, of course, it's a, it's a great letter that Paul wrote of many letters, and Hudson did a great job. He's out with kids. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> Hudson on kids' ministry. Okay. So um, it's all right, parents. It's okay. They'll be fine. <laughs> They'll be fine. <laughs> if we, if, as long as we find them afterwards. Um, yeah. So. Uh, Hudson did a great job because, as I said, I watched the service uh, while I was away and he, he began by just unpacking the fact that Paul's so mature in Christ that he's able not just to focus on himself or his own situation but on other people and he's rejoicing in what God's doing somewhere else for somebody else even though he's suffering. And this is the big takeaway you get from this book. It's called the book of joy. The word joy or rejoice or joyful appears a number of times and yet he's writing it and he's in prison. So it's, you know, the con- context and the background is really adding to the message and appreciation of what's being said. And similarly, the next passage that we cover this week and today, we'll read through it, shows also how Paul is making this choice to rejoice, as they say. So let's read uh, Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 12 all the way to verse 30 in the New Living Translation. And there it is up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible to follow, it says, I want you to know, this is the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the Philippians 2,000 years ago, but still relevant to us. My dear brothers and sisters, I want you to know that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Here meaning in Rome, where he's in jail, um, house arrest, Uh, And he says, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. There are others who do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. For I, Have I mentioned that I'm going to rejoice? You know, he says it all the time. For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Christ Jesus helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and I hope that I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honour to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ. Dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be better for me, but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I'll remain alive so I can continue to help you, all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. When I come to you again, you'll have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, 
conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you're going to be saved, even by God himself. For you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. See, you can, it's, it's, it's there. It's in the Bible. We don't like to hear that, but it's there, the S word. But uh, we... But, we are in this struggle together. You have been, you've seen my struggle in the past and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. Wow. So, you know, it's very easy to complain about life, isn't it? Regardless of your circumstances, you can always find something to have a whinge about. There's always something to worry, stress about. But conversely, you can also always make a decision to focus on the positives, to appreciate the good things in life to focus on God's bigger picture beyond your own circumstances and troubles and suffering and issues. And Paul models this perfectly because he gives us his example to follow and apply to our own lives. And in fact, in that passage, there's three aspects of his circumstances that he refers to and is able to overlook because he's got his eyes on the big picture, on the gospel getting out, for people to hear about Jesus. That's his passion. That's what drives him. That's what God wants us to have deep in our heart too, that we're focused not just on what I want out of life, what is good for me, but on what God calls us to, on the fact that what I've been given, as Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. You know, if you're born again, given your life to Christ, you've got a ticket to heaven, well, that's great. He's going to help you have a wonderful life along the way. But wouldn't it be great if someone else gets there because of you, not just keeping your ticket in your back pocket and keeping all very quiet? And that's the call on our lives. You don't have to be a great apostle like Paul to be called in that area to some degree, you know. And so um, there's three aspects he touches on where he's maintaining his focus on the gospel in spite of stuff. And, and he's basically, you know what do people say? It's all good. You know people say, oh, it's all good. In spite of stuff, it's all good. And there's three it's all goods that Paul refers to. The first one, he says, basically, it's all good that I'm imprisoned as long as it helps spread the gospel. Because if you look back at verse 12 and 13 and 14 again, there it is. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, everything's happened to me here that has helped to spread the good news. Assisted, helped, is not just in spite of, it's actually assisted. For everyone here including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. Because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So, you know, this was Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. Uh, He was there for two years. He was released. He probably went to Spain um, tradition tells us, not actually in, because the end of the book of Acts finishes with this record, but it's possible he went to Spain and then he was returned to Rome and then he was executed a few years later. But uh, at this point, he's actually in an unusual situation. He's in a rented house under house arrest, but he's in chains within the house. So it's this before electronic, you know, ankle monitoring. It wasn't until the second century. Uh, this is the first century. And, uh, and so to keep him in chains and under guard... They had the, uh, it says palace guard. Well, you may know, if you, in fact, you read 
the Strong's Concordance, the Greek word is the Praetoria. So this was the Praetorian Guard and they were coming on a rostered basis to keep an eye on him. Now, of course, these people were the elite crack bodyguards of the Roman army that were used by the emperor himself for senators, other dignitaries, and specially marked prisoners like this. So it's interesting. He's like, he's, and Paul is aware of how good this connection is with these people because in their community, they would be very well respected and quite uh, influential. It'd be like having, you know, a special forces guy living next door or someone who was part of the prime minister's personal bodyguard or, you know, they were like a private bodyguard for celebrities and dignitaries and, you know, they'd be well known in their community. And they wouldn't normally be mixing with Christians at all because the church in Rome was basically a sect of Judaism at the time. The Jewish people were mainly the believers, some Gentiles, non-Christians, Jewish people that joining them, but not generally the elite of society. And so they wouldn't have been going to church. But here's Paul bringing the message of the church to them, and he's aware of it and appreciative of it and taking joy out of it. Isn't that cool? And so, you know, for us, well, uh, we're not in prison, but, um, you know, you'll find there are times when you feel like you're in prison, so to speak, or you're just despondent about some disappointing situation or you're upset about this or that and in that there are people in your life that you are connecting with who are looking to you listening to you and wondering how you're getting through well of course if you're like Paul they're going to be touched to say wow in spite of what's going on in this person's life their faith must be really strong because they're actually okay they're quite buoyant they're joyful they're carrying through and, uh, and so this is a great witness that he had. And I think it's, there's a message there for us about being able to carry ourselves in the Lord so that it's a good witness to other people. Because you think these Roman guards are looking on and going, mate, I don't know why you're so happy. Do you realise you're just a few steps away from, like you're on Caesar's list, you know? You, you might just be house arrest now, but have you heard of the Colosseum? You know, do you know what? Actually, the Colosseum was not built till about... 10 years after Paul was killed. But they certainly had the games. Have you heard? We throw Christians to lions, you know. You, you do know that, don't you? Paul's like, yeah, it's okay. I don't really care. You know, better to go with the Lord. And they're like, wow, this, this, is, this is something about this guy. What is going on? Why are you not afraid of death? Why are you, you know? And so that is a great witness. And as I said, in a lesser degree, you're not going to get thrown to the lions. So you're not, hopefully, not going to go to prison. Feel you have but, uh, you know, most of us here, let's say that, you know, um, uh, you know not, go, not going to go to prison. Uh, but whatever situ- situation we're in, you hear what I'm saying? It's a great witness if we're able to be strong in the Lord. And that's, uh, you know, indicative of, of what the power of God can do in someone's life. And people will be touched by that. And also notice that other believers were encouraged by his robust faith, by his joy in the Lord, and they're strengthened. They're like, well, flip. They're people, he was allowed to have visitors at this point. So there's Christians who are visiting the great apostle and they're going away going, well, he's not depressed. What have I got to whinge about? He's like that close away from getting thrown to the lions. And uh, all I'm worried about is, you know, my chariot wheel business and some competitor that's, you know, having trying to take me down or, um, you know, whatever. He, 
incidental stuff going on in their life, they're strengthened to go, well, let's share our faith. Come on, let's be strong. And so you, you are an influential person. You don't have to be the Apostle Paul. Each of us has people that are looking on, listening to how we live and how we stand up for the Lord. Yeah? Um, so, um, so it's all good in spite of being in prison. It's awesome. It's also, secondly, for Paul, it's all good even if people preach with the wrong motivation. Did you get onto that? Look at verse 15, 16-ish again. Look, uh, look, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. Others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the gospel. Good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But it doesn't matter. Whatever their motives are, false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I'll rejoice and I'll continue to rejoice. Again, this is a great perspective because we can get upset about people and what's their motivation and why they, you know, and the fact is God will back his word. Like his word is powerful and effective regardless of the preacher's character, personality, motivation, lifestyle. I mean, as you know, at its worst, there have been times when you've got preachers who have fallen morally or mismanaged finances or been in some scandal and yet people are still born again, saved, healed, delivered under their preaching. And you think, well, what's that, God? Why didn't you just take them out with a bolt of lightning? Just judge them or make their preaching hopeless. Okay. You know, or people didn't cotton on until later and they're still because God will always back his word the word is powerful isn't that incredible it's the word of God and of course that's not great for other reasons and you know that's bad on them to be that's but that's between them and God and uh I mean look I've been in full-time Christian ministry for more than 30 years now so I have seen the good the bad and the ugly <laughs> of, of, of Christian ministers and missionaries and preachers and pastors. Oh, like, so when we were in Russia in the early 90s, it was like the hotbed of Christian ministry at the time. Everyone was excited and interested to go. After all these years of the Cold War, the doors were open, we were there, and we saw a whole bunch of ministries and people come in. And, you know, we were assistant pastors in a Russian church, very big, influential church in the city, and the pastor would often be away. And these little young missionaries, like in that photo you saw, we were 27 or 28 or 9 or something at the time, we were in charge of this church of 1,000 plus people. And, and then we'd have people, random missionaries or visiting preachers, just rock up and expect to preach. And they'd have the film crew there too. Because they wanted footage to go back home and say, we're into church planting and make out that that was one of their churches. and Or or at the very least, you know, this is part of my worldwide ministry and this is a big church and all that. And so sometimes the motivation was really dodgy. You could tell and it was tested because they'd rock up and say, I'm here to preach. They'd say, well, you're not because my wife's on today. Well, who are you? Well, I'm Chris Brown. I'm the assistant pastor and Sergey's not here. So sit down and worship if you want to. And you'd be pleased to know I was probably a little more diplomatic than that, but, but not much, sometimes, depending on it. And you could see the, just the steam coming out the ears and say, you call yourself a Christian? Well, here's a chance to prove it, you know. And, uh, 
And then there were people like Timothy Terry. I don't know if I've, I don't think I've ever told you about Timothy Terry. We haven't spoken to him about him for years. You know, we had a guy in the church, this older, single American guy living in Russia. And he was just worshipping in the service, just, just there week after week. We met him. He's like, yeah, and I, th- I, think he, I don't think he had ever married. He was an older guy and he, and he was very intellectual, very deep and a great student and um, teacher of God's Word. So we thought, well, let's ask him to teach in the Bible school because we were running a Bible college. And then Rita, our PA, who was a brilliant interpreter, um, came to me and said, oh, Pastor Chris, we don't need an interpreter for Timothy. I go, what do you mean? She says, oh, he speaks fluent Russian. And he just had no tickets on himself. I'm like, what do you mean he speaks fluent Russian? Oh, he loves Russia so much. He studied Russian for years in university in America. And now he just lives here. And of course, the Russians just loved him because he would just get up there without the interpreter. He knew all the, he just, I mean, if you learn Russian, when you've been never in Russia or on the other side of the world, you've got to love something about the country and the people. And they realise it. And he's just teaching in Russian, perfectly fluent and they're like a a fluent speaker who isn't a spy wow you know actually come to think of it wow what a cover timothy you sneaky cia agent well there you go that would explain a couple of things anyway um no he was just a humble sweethearted guy who loved the lord oh he spoke german that's right of course he did show off yeah, so maybe really was a flippin' spot. Anyway, um, on the other hand, I had lunch. I had breakfast one morning with a pastor who had visited from America, and um, he was like I said, a lot of them were coming in wanting to preach, and and some really wanting to serve the church, and others you wonder. And we had breakfast, and uh, he was from Dallas. So I said, "Oh, I've got a great friend of a church in Dallas. Oh yeah, I know him. My church is bigger than his." He just came out with it just like that. I just sat there and went, wow, okay. It's like, that is it? It's like, (laughs) you know, I just thought, why would you say that? And anyway, as we went on, he started telling me all about Russia, like just as an expert. And I had been living there for more than a year and he had got there that weekend, you know, and I just thought, listen to you. And then it got worse because he finally kind of found out that I was from Australia, like, you know, after – me asking him a million questions politely, you know, you know how those conversations go where oh, you actually bother to say something about yourself. You go, yeah, well, in Australia. Oh, Australia. And then he launched and told me all about Australia. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, yeah, next to me. I remember just checking out, just going, God, I don't know. And he had a big church, a lot of people getting saved, blessed. You know, I just think, wow, God, you really do use all kinds, you know, <laughs> because I wouldn't go to his church. And if I was God, I would take him out. I'd teach you a lesson. Back, you know, go and learn some humility, and and so, you know, the point is, grace, forgiveness, perspective. Don't bother judging other people. There's ministries and styles of. I mean, you know, you watch some as an Aussie cultural person, you might watch some American preacher, and you think, oh, look at the big hair and the suit, and you think they're showing off. It's like you don't know. That's just confidence in America. You think it's arrogance, they're, they're just confident. That's just the way they roll. They might have the sweetest heart and they love God. And, uh, you know, I just think let's not judge and, and uh, let's just keep our hearts on the Lord. 
Don't judge other ministries or tear people down if you don't agree with their, you know, little fine point of doctrine or whatever. And we're never going to win the world for Jesus if we fight each other and backstab and whinge about other Christians and churches and styles and denominations, you know. Jesus said, the world will know if you love one another. Oh, anyway, I'm getting on a little pet tangent there. I hate it when Christians are having a go at each other. And So... Paul doesn't, does he? He just says, I'll rejoice. Are they preaching the gospel? Yeah, but did you hear, Apostle Paul, that this guy had done, is he preaching? Yes, but well, that's all we need to know. Good news is getting out there. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? Okay. And, and you know, you can tell he's teaching these guys, hey, don't fuss about the details. Let's just be glad. It's all about the gospel getting out. Thirdly, it's all good for Paul if he stays on earth and keeps suffering rather than going to heaven, which he kind of really wants to do. <laughs> you read between the, you never read the between the lines, it's right there. Um, look at verse 21 again. Uh, for me to live in Christ, dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful works for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. Whether I stay, I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with the Lord, go to heaven. It'd be better for me, but for your sake, it's better that I continue to live. So, you know, again, he's suffering. And let's face it, and I've said this before, you see sadly in the church over the years, two extreme incorrect views about suffering. One is that people sometimes strangely sadly think that Suffering automatically makes you a better person and a stronger Christian and you're closer to God. And so some people even create situations or step into situations where they suffer. They'll keep themselves poorer than they need to, even though money is a good, useful tool that they could use for other people. They'll, they'll almost embrace sickness or some kind of situation that is not conducive to a productive life, but then they'll do this little kind of mental game where they think, ah, this is, it must be God's will, I'm closer to God, yeah. And that's a silly extreme view. But of course, sadly, on the other side, sometimes you've got the S word, suffering, we don't talk about it, we have no theology of suffering, it's of the devil, uh, God's will is for us to just be powerfully, perfectly, awesomely marching onto heaven with everything working out all the time. And a lot of those people get very disappointed. The Bible says some have even shipwrecked their faith because they had the wrong expectations. They thought if I put my trust in Christ, everything's just going to be a bed of roses. And it isn't. And life hits them in the face and they got no concept of being able to cope with challenges. And so Paul obviously is saying to us and in other parts of the New Testament, look, suffering can be a part of the Christian life. You just don't go chasing it down, but you get ready for it when it comes, yeah? And you enjoy God's victory at the same time, you, you know that things are going to work out for good. You trust God. You have a sense of joy and peace and stability and, and victory. And yes, stuff happens and you go through it all. And, uh, and so here, you know, Paul lives it, knows it, preaches it. And he's saying, look, my life is in God's hands. And, uh, and I'm, just, I'm just aware of my mission in life. And I'm not going to let the suffering get in the way. I don't, nothing's going to stop me. Not the devil, not my own fragility. Like I'm not going to run away from the mission when the tough get, what do they say? When the tough get, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, you know. And so he's, 
in that mindset. I'm not going to run away if things get tough. Um, and he's got this great heavenly perspective on life because he's very aware that glory, perfect peace, love, joy in God's presence, that's waiting in eternity the moment he dies. He's not afraid of death at all, is he? Um, he knows that this life isn't all there is. And this is a big one because that's not encouraged in our society. You know, you don't see advertisements or media articles or some Instagram influencer promoting the concept of living with a heavenly perspective. It's all very carnal, sensory, for the present time. This is all there is. Suck the marrow out of life. And that's great. And you do enjoy the journey, but it's not the end of the journey just here on earth. Paul's like, no, the journey keeps going. And he's like, and I'm tempted sometimes. If they take me out, if, if I, I just wonder if he might have sort of egged the prowess guard on sometimes. You know, like, ah, oh, look at you, fatso, or you call yourself a tough guy. You look at your sword, you can't use it. Though, can you? you wonder if he just sometimes was thinking like, I just feel like just going home. I can't, suicide's just not on the table. I know that. But, um, but I could just get one of these guys to get a little angry and they're quickly going to just, I don't know. So, uh, so he's very aware that, look, I could go to home. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not holding on to life as if, like, that's all there is. But he realises, ah, I've got purpose. I'm not checking out. I'm not going to let my personal despondency lead me to self-harm or suicide or some death wish or death by police, death by Pretoria, you know. Uh, he's got a purpose, a calling, a mission, an assignment, and it involves other people. So it's, again, good for him to be thinking of others. And he's like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick around. And, uh, but for us, obviously, the takeaway is there, no fear of death. We don't have to, have to worry about uh, what the future holds and, and death when it comes uh, and, and to know that there's more to life than what we have here on earth. We have this wonderful promise in eternity. And then finally, we haven't got time to unpack these last few verses, but he's then basically saying, over to you guys, enough about me, you should, and then he lists a number of exhortations and instructions, uh, verses 27 down to verse 30. Look, he says, look, I want you to live, of, live as citizens of heaven, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, stand together in unity, have one spirit, one purpose. Fight the good fight of faith together. Don't be intimidated by your enemies. Remember that you've got the privilege of trusting in Christ and suffering for him. They go together. And of course, these are all descriptive phrases. We haven't got time to unpack all what it looks like exactly, but it's a good exercise in your connect group this week or for yourself to think, what does that look like for me? You know, to, to, to live as a citizen of heaven. What what does that mean as opposed to not living a citizen of heaven? And so for us, we can think through that. But what a great inspiration, yeah? Uh, to just see Paul's life, Paul's example, and Paul's exhortation to keep things in perspective. And I trust that we're able to do that. Amen? Come on, let's pray. Wow, praise the Lord. We, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this season uh, that we're going to... Uh, study and glean from uh, this great letter that Paul wrote so long ago and it's so relevant to us 
And, uh, and Lord, I just pray for each one of us individually, but also together, we will just be fired up to live for you, to just keep our eyes on the bigger picture that it's all about getting the good news of Jesus out into this world. And, uh, and that actually brings us joy beyond our circumstances. And like Paul, God, I just pray that we are not focused on our suffering or situation, but we'll be strong and uh, you will help us through whatever challenges we have uh, so that we can uh, keep our eyes on you and on other people and their needs and to share our faith with them. Hallelujah. You know, just before we finish today, we're just seated in God's house, in God's presence. And I'm going to pray a prayer and I invite you to pray it with me if you need to give your life to Christ. And we do this on a regular basis, just an invitation to follow God, to make Jesus your Lord and Saviour. You know, just sitting in church, that doesn't make you a Christian. You can sit in the garage, you're not going to turn into a car. You're just... It's a personal relationship with God and He invites us to that. Jesus has come. He's revealed God. He's died on the cross in our place for our sins. And the door is open for us to invite Him in. And if you want to do that, maybe as a recommitment or maybe a first-time commitment, then pray this prayer with me. Very simple prayer to God. Just say these words, Father God, thank You for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin. Lord Jesus, forgive me, help me, save me. I pray you would come into my heart, live in me so that I can live in you and follow you all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Touch every heart here today. If you prayed that prayer, why don't you come and talk to me or someone that might have brought you to church or... Someone around here can help you. We'll give you a Bible, talk to you more about following Jesus. It's the best thing you can do in life. It'll bless you and bless other people along the way, all the way to heaven. Thank you, God. You touch on every life here today. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.